Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Radio. I'm your pal, Val. Jason has the day off. This is episode number 43 of NASCAR Radio. This is where NASCAR and NASCAR trading cards meet. Have a good show for you today. We're going to be recapping the truck race and cup race from Kansas. We're also going to listen in on a Zoom call with Richard Petty and Dale Inman. Always great to hear two icons of the sport as they chat with Wins and Kelly, Jessica, and Bailey from the NASCAR Hall of Fame. So you'll want to stay around and listen to that, even though it's not the cards, but it's always awesome to listen to the stories from some of the icon legends of the sport. So let's jump into it. Last week, we had the race at Kansas. We had the truck race. We had the truck race. That was number seven of the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series at Kansas Speedway. That was last Saturday, May 1st. Our winner was Kyle Busch, and our highest finishing rookie was Chandler Smith. And in a side note, Haley Deegan finished 13th. Chandler Smith finished 11th, and Haley Deegan finished 13th. But we're not going to talk about Kyle Busch's rookie cards at this spot. So I guess that's a spoiler alert for the Cup Series, but I'm sure you already know that. So so in the 2021 Dunruss, he's in the signature series that's unnumbered. That's card number SS-CS. There's a red version, numbered to 99. There's a hollow gold version, numbered to 25. And a hollow black, numbered to 1. The next truck race is Friday, May 7th at 7.30. That's at Darlington Raceway. It is the Lift Kits for Less.com 200. Green flag drops at 7.30. The stages are 45, 90, and 147 laps for 201 miles. Moving over to Xfinity Series, they were off last week. They did not race at Kansas, but the next Xfinity race will be Saturday, May 8th at 1 p.m., at Darlington Raceway. That is the Steakhouse Elite 200. Stages for that are 45, 45, 57 laps for 147 laps. And moving over to the Cup Series, they were racing in Kansas. That was race number 11. And that was the second annual Bushy McBush Race 400. That was Sunday, May 2nd. And our winner was. Kyle Bush. How funny is it that Kyle Bush wins the second annual Bushy McBush Race 400? So, so Kyle Bush was our winner. That prolongs his streak of at least one win each season. Our highest finishing rookie was Chase Briscoe at position 20. So we've talked about Kyle Busch before, not this year, but I think late last year was his last win and one of the last races of the year to, to keep his streak alive. So that streak is also continued through 2021. So, But he has cards in 2004, and he's in the different versions of Press Pass with the base Press Pass, Optima, Stealth, Trackside. In 2004, Press Pass I call it base or the regular press pass, flagship press pass number 38. There's actually a variation on that where the infield and track is in the background. 
the more common version does not have that. And there are autographs, there's eBay previews, platinum, there's the samples from the Beckett. There's also a signings version of it with the normal unnumbered base signings, gold signings, number to 50. There's also memorabilia, top prospects memorabilia with glove, sheet metal, and tire. The glove is number to 100, sheet metal is serial number to 200, and the tire to 350. In the Press Pass Optima, it's card number 54. That's the Young Guns. There's also Beckett samples and the gold version number to 100. In Press Pass Stealth, there's card number 65. There's Beckett samples, no boundaries, and the X-ray, which is serial numbered to 100. That's EB65. And then in track side, he's card number 31. He's also on the card 84 with Ricky Hendrick and Kyle Busch. And card number 92. There's Beckett samples of all three versions. Card 31, 84, and 92. eBay previews of card 31. There's the gold serial number to 100 of card 31, 84, and 92 on trackside. There's also 2004 Wheels High Gear, card number 45. There's autographs in High Gear. There's Beckett samples of card number 45. eBay previews, serial number to 5 of E45. And the mile MPH, miles per hour, card number M45 of Kyle Busch, serial numbered to 100. And then our highest finishing rookie is Chase Prisco, who we've talked about before. Uh, one side note for him is that he has base cards in 2018 Panini Certified, as well as the parallels of orange, number to 249, red, the serial number to 199, blue, nine, serial number to 99, gold to 49, purple to 25, green to 10, black is serial number to 1, mirror gold to 25, mirror purple to 10, mirror green. Serial number to five, mirror black, serial number to one. There's fresh faces signatures, serial number to 99. There's fresh faces signatures, red to 75, blue to 49, gold to 25, purple to 10, green to five, black to one. He's in the Panini Prime, but that's memorabilia. He's got signatures in Panini Prism, but no base cards. And then Victory Lane signatures only. The cup race will be Sunday, May 9th at 3.30. That is the Goodyear 400 at Darlington Raceway. Stages are 90, 185, 293 for 400.2 miles. And the playoff standings after Kansas, race 11 of 26 is Martin Truex in first with two wins, followed by William Byron. With one win, the rest of these have one win. Joe Logano, Ryan Blaney, Brad Kislowski, Kyle Larson, Kyle Busch, Christopher Bell, Mike McDowell, Alex Bowman. Denny Hamlin is the first on points at number 11, followed by Chase Elliott, Kevin Harvick, Austin Dillon, Chris Buescher, Matt Diabenedetto. And currently outside the playoffs looking to get in, Number seven at number 17, Kurt Bush, Tyler Reddick, Ricky Stenhouse, and Ryan Newman. So with the Kyle Bush win, 
three of the four Joe Gibbs drivers are somewhat locked in for the playoffs with Denny Hamlin, the only one without the win, Christopher Bell, Martin Truex Jr., and Kyle Busch. The Penske drivers of all one, Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, and Ryan Blaney. And for Hendrick, three of the four drivers have wins with William Byron, Kyle Larson, and Alex Bowman, with Chase Elliott not. What's surprising that jumps out at me is that none of the Stuart Haas drivers have won yet. So we will see how Darlington does. Treats them, Lady in Black. And if I remember right, Darlington was the first NASCAR track, first paved track that NASCAR raced on, I believe, in 1950. So it's always interesting. I, that's one of the tracks that I have not been. That's kind of one of the closer ones to me. I'm situated between Charlotte and Darlington. So have not been to that one yet. I think next year I will try to make that one. So, But that's where we are so far. And as for Kyle Busch cards, for his rookie cards, they're still, I think, relatively cheap considering how many wins he has, his records. And he's not done yet. I think he turned 36 on his birthday with that win. So he still has some years left of racing. But with his rookies in 2004, just going to Com C as an example, uh, his rookie cards are all under $10. Considering the craziness around F1 and other stuff, they definitely look like bargains. If you really want to bargain, you go to the second year, and some of his cards are less than a dollar. So he's definitely a destined for the NASCAR Hall of Fame, even if he doesn't win another race or retires tomorrow. And then looking over on eBay, it's kind of the same way where his cards are under $10. There's a lot of high gear rookies for looks like $17. I'm sure it does not include shipping, but looking at sold again, it's under $10 for his cards. And then there's even, even some with through the mail autographs for right at $10. So there's a closed auction of the Kyle Busch rookie auto on the signings that went for $30. Will it buy it now? Here's another one of the signings unnumbered that went for $36. Another one for $40. So rookie signing autographs pack certified for $40 or under. I don't think people realize how difficult or how rare the NASCAR trading cards are, they don't have the massive print runs of, say, Tops, Base, Flagship, or even some of these other things. Press Pass was not producing nearly the quantities that some of these other sports were having. You know, trying to find some of this older wax is difficult. It's not not costly. I, I don't care if I talk to you about this or if I talked to Jason that I was pick I picked up I think it was two boxes of 2004 Optima and I think there were $75 a box for a hobby box which I thought was pretty good because if you're going to have cards graded unopened is the way to go it's your better chance to find mint or gem mint cards and with all the craziness going on for some of these other sports, and even the 2021 Dunros at 140 or more a box. Not that that's a problem, but 
you see these other wax boxes that have the cost of something current. So to me, I think I see value in that. And it gives me something if you've already, you know, completed your 2021 Dunro set and we're waiting for June for Chronicles come out, then you can, you know, chase some of these other years or whatever. And the reason I like the 2004 Optima was that it has Kyle Bush, Martin Truex Jr., and Clint Boyer. So 2004 was a pretty good year for rookies where you have Martin Truex and Kyle Bush being the two that are going to be Hall of Famers in the future. So, but it's always good to go to the trading card database. If you've never been, you go to trading card database, tcdb.com. There's a search bar kind of at the middle top. You just pick your sport, put in your driver, player, whatever, search, and that will show you a list of cards for that person. You can pick on their individual year if you wanted to see. So I think I've talked about that before, but that's one of the tools that I use to kind of research uh, a driver and cards they have available. So, But I kind of sidetracked a little bit. Uh, and then with all this Hall of Fame talk, uh, I've been a member um, or I've had a membership to the NASCAR Hall of Fame since it opened in 2010. And that allows you to attend certain events. This year, they've started to do something a little bit different. They've started to do some Zoom calls. They had a Zoom call with Mark Martin, which I wasn't able to make. They offered charter members an opportunity to attend a Zoom call with Richard Petty and Dale Inman. So I was able to record that. I had a little bit of technical difficulty with it, but the majority of the interview is there. There's a little part in the middle, but I don't know if you'll be able to tell or not. But it's a good conversation with two icons of the sport. Richard Petty winning 200 wins, the most wins ever by a driver. The second driver is David Pearson at 105 wins. And Dale Inman was a crew chief for Richard Petty and actually part of of his family for, I believe, all of those wins. So so thanks to the NASCAR Hall of Fame for allowing me to attend that Zoom call. There will be another Zoom call, hopefully, in the future if you listen to the end. We'll see if I can get an invite for that. And then if I do, I will try to record it as well. Hopefully, better quality and the full conversation. So... But I think it's about 40 minutes long. If you never listened to him, uh, it's good. With Winston Kelly from NASCAR Hall of Fame, Jessica Bell, and Bailey, who they, they work in the membership department. So thanks to them. Hope you enjoy the conversation. All of you members are not here today to see me, to see Bailey. You might be here to see Winston, but you're probably more excited about some of the fellas that if your screen is like mine... They're right next to him. So um, what I want to do is just run through a couple things today. Uh, my name is Jessica Bell, and I'm the membership sales manager at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And first, we want to thank all of you for being on this call. Um, the reason your beautiful faces are here is because you have been supporting us since 2010. And that means the world to us to be part of our charter members. So first and most importantly, a huge thank you to all of you for being a part of our family for so long. Uh, we would have loved to celebrate in person this past May to celebrate our 10 years, 
But uh, due to COVID, um, we feel like that's been the catchphrase of the past year. But due to COVID, we were all stuck at home. And now we're able to be stuck at home and still together. So I want to go ahead and introduce um, two of our very, very important guests for this evening. So we have two of our Hall of Famers. Um, without further ado, we will turn things over. But We have Richard Petty joining us, as well as Dale Inman. And a huge thank you to both of you. For giving us your evening um we're very excited we'll have winston ask all the tough questions and then i think we have a couple easy ones for you at the end from some of the members that have already submitted so we will go ahead and winston i'm going to toss it over to you to get us started well thanks so much jessica and i just reiterate what uh, she said about how important you guys are to us as charter members who've been with us uh, now for 11 years and We've been doing things like this throughout the year, and we really wanted to get two of the most special Hall of Famers to join us tonight. And, and I would say that if they were sitting beside me, uh, wanted to get one of our members of the charter class and Richard Petty, and of course his sidekick, uh, and a member of the 2012 class, Dale Inman. If I talked about all their accolades, we'd be here all night. Uh, but introducing those two guys is like trying to introduce the Pope and the president. So, uh, you know, they're, they're definitely very special to us. And, uh, gentlemen, just want to say thanks for giving us a little bit of your time. You've done so much for us, not just over the past 11 years, but dating back to when we first started talking about the Hall of Fame in 2006 and 2007. So uh, hope you and the families are well, and just thank you for being a part of it tonight. We're, we're glad to be here. Thanks, thanks for inviting us in, really. We appreciate that. Well, it, before we get into all the racing stuff, you know, it's been a crazy last 14 months for all of us. And I'm, I'm curious for a couple of guys who have spent 60-plus years going to racetracks, what has been the biggest adjustment for y'all in that 14 months and now that you've been back to the track a few times? Not going to the track has been the biggest deal. <laughs> I've been going to the track since I was 11 years old. <laughs> she takes your daddy around a whole lot, okay? And, uh, you know, that was that was the big deal. Uh, as far as uh, COVID and stuff, I didn't ever pay no attention to that stuff anyway. But, you know, but everything was just shut down, and we couldn't even go to the racetrack. So I think we've been to, what, a couple of races so far this year. Went to Daytona, uh, then we went to uh, Martinsville. And we're getting ready to go to Darlington. So all them we can run to Daytona we had to drive down the state. But you know, if they're close enough, like going to Charlotte, you know, you can drive in one day and come back home. So they just don't let you wander around like you they put you in a bubble. Okay. And when we when I go as a car owner, I can either go to the pit area, I can go to the garage area, or I can go to a suite. I can't go to two of them. I have to sign up. And that's the only place I can go. So you just don't get to see the people or, or get with the fans or get with, even get with your driver or crew. So uh, you're just kind of a lost cause. Yeah, and Dale, I think this weekend is going to be our, is going to be your second race in 2021. So what have you been doing keeping yourself busy? Well, as long as the grass grows and Mary can get me out of the house, I, I do a lot of mowing, even where it needs it or not. But uh, you might have been a little bit off on you 60 years of race, and we've been uh, we've been in it to a little bit longer than that. So, and uh, I'll be married 
to Mary for 62 years in December, and she says she knows me better this last year than she had all the previous <laughs> years. So, and uh, I think she enjoys when I get out of the house. Of course, I'm taking her. She's going to Darlington with us Sunday, and uh, that'll be good. But uh, it's her birthday. He's taking her out. There. <laughs> She's taking her out about. for her birthday. Well, it's, taking her to a racetrack. <laughs> it's Saturday. We're getting over her birthday, and then I'm gonna, that'll be the celebration, Darlington. <laughs> Well, good. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully, get to run into you. Since since these are our charter members, I want to start with something early on related first to the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And and Richard, your 1967 Plymouth was the very first thing that we ever announced that was going to go into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And you know, you and I kind of went back and forth about what would be the the car that we would put on glory road for Richard Petty because you know, you can't have a glory road without a Richard Petty car. Uh, and you were kind enough to say, you know, what's in our collection. You tell us what you want and you can have it. And we picked that 67 car as the winningest single car in NASCAR history. Uh, 27 races in 67, nine in 66, the 36 races that that one car one you you left out two what did i lose two wins in 68 we ran the car four times and won two of the races 38 wins see that one car see at the end of the season years ago we finished one week and started the season the next week even the previous year you know before it started and then that 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 was a 66 plymouth belvedere correct it won won daytona 500 in 1966 and then we and converted, then, converted to 67. When when you guys think back to just that 1967 year, 10 in a row wins, 27 wins, what stands out about that particular year? Because when, when you gave us the choice of what car we could pick, you know, that was a pretty easy choice for, for me. It's all petty blue. It's kind of in that, that era but you know the success you had in that car. When you think back, both of you back to that year and that time frame, what stands out most to you? It's, it was just another year, okay. I mean, we was running a year old car, okay. And every time you'd win a race, you wasn't you, we we didn't camp. You know what I mean? We said, where do we run next? Let's get home, redo the car, get ready for the next race. So all of them. Uh, we didn't even realize we'd won that many races, so we won six or seven in a row. And then, you know, the press picked it up, and, and everybody got to following just, you know, how far could we go with it. So, uh, and still yet, even at that time, we, you know, we went to every race, figured we could win the thing. Okay, and and uh, the first part of the season wasn't really that good for us. You know, we didn't start out that good uh, in '67, and uh, you know, things just started coming together and. Fate, fate just uh, was on our side, I guess. Because uh, probably two or three of the races, uh, we shouldn't have won the race. But somebody else had more trouble than we did, and we wound up winning the race. So uh, it was just, it was just a fantastic year. You know, I don't think about it that much now, and definitely didn't think about it then. Dale, from your standpoint, you know, you didn't have a, a dozen or so cars like they do today. And if memory serves me correct, and, and you know, I've gotten a couple of facts wrong already, so you can clarify. 
uh, you won all those races in that one car, correct? And and, and what happened? We just uh, we prepared it. We 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 built a '67 Plymouth, and we couldn't do no good with it. It just it was just we it wasn't lucky, I guess. So we Richard said, let's put a '67 grill in a '66, which was very little change. And we started winning, and we just wouldn't get off that car. And when we take it home, we we might spend a little bit of extra time preparing the wheel bearings and the, the wheel places and all the stuff like that. And it just got to going for us, and it just wouldn't. It just refused to lose there for a long time. And you asked how we how we felt about it. My worry was during all this, when the press really got the count and picked up on it, was. How's it going to feel to lose a race? <laughs> you know what I mean? and, and of course, uh, Buddy Baker beat us at Charlotte and uh, we blew it up over there. Yeah, blew the engine and uh, we didn't knock the door completely off of it. <laughs> you could, uh, these pictures of Richard racing and the door's gone because I was changing right rear tire that time, that year. And uh, he come in one time and the door had come loose at the front and was covered the rear wheel and we had to cut it off so I could change the tire. And, that was back in the day. <laughs> well, that that being the first thing we ever announced here that, that's uh, been here a couple of different times meant a lot to us. <laughs> I'm going to go to another first since we're on that theme of these are our first members uh, and go back to the first Strictly Stock race, June the 19th, 1949. And Richard, I've heard different variations of this story of your dad that bought or borrowed a car from somebody in Greensboro, take us through that that process, and you know, you and your brother Maurice going that race, and what happened, and and it was a bit of a a journey to get back home too. I understand. <laughs> well, uh, my dad hung out at a service station up there in Greensboro, and uh, these boys, and I think it was two of them, brother, must have been brothers. They had a forty-six or forty-seven Buick. And it ran really fast on the road at that time, maybe 110, 15 mile hour, but that was fast. And uh, so somehow or another, Daddy read in the paper that uh, NASCAR Bill France was having a race in Charlotte. And uh, I think it's going to pay $1,500 to win the thing or something. And uh, so he said, so he talked them into borrowing the car. He brought the car home, and on Sunday morning, uh, Maurice, my brother, mother and daddy, we got in the car, we drove it to Charlotte. And uh, it was just, I mean, it had the hubcaps on it. I mean, it was just a stock car. Okay, we get to, we pull in the Texaco station and they pull it up and put it on the rack. They changed the oil in it, checked the air and the tires. I think he took the muffler off of it and uh, taped the number on the side. Number was 38. I don't know where it come from, but that's what he did. So. He ran about half the race, and I don't know how good he was running or whatever, and broke something on the car, turned it over, uh, got it upside down, I don't know, all that stuff. And uh, we were fortunate that my uncle was at the race, so we did have, did have a ride home. So we come home with him, and uh, then the next day, Daddy took one of his trucks, one of the flatbed trucks that he had, and uh, went back and got the car. Now, I explained it to them guys. I have no idea. I didn't hear that end. Of, so I've not ended the story because I never heard the end. <laughs> Dale, were you along for that ride? No, I was 
I, di I didn't make that one, but I made a lot of them with them. And uh, we, there's a lot of stories me and Richard can tell about those trips. And I, I know I was at Darlington in 1951, and guess how many cars they started that day? 75. Something like that. 82. 82. I looked in my yeah. great family books, you know. And, well, the uh, first race was 70 or 75. Yeah, I didn't make the first one, but I made I, yeah. first race I can, you know, I, I probably went to some before that, but I remember Darlington in 1951. And probably a lot of you people there we're talking to weren't even born then. <laughs> <laughs> probably Most the majority of them. When did you two guys start working together? Not necessarily as driver, crew chief, but Dale, when did you start working at Petty Enterprise? Because I know, Richard, you did before you even had a license, right? You know, I don't even know what year it was, but uh, for us to ride our bicycles and go swimming in a mud hole, I guess we call Pole Creek, we leave. sometimes Lee would go up north and race by himself, and we'd have to get the race car ready, and if I helped him a little bit, we got to, we got to play more as kids, you know what I mean? But I guess it was what? 12, 13, 14 year old then, you know, and, uh, but, uh, I went off to service in, uh, 1959. And when I come back, I was still helping them. And, and really in 1963, I guess was when we, they finally hired me and paid me some money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You and, got rich, and, right? and ask Richard, how many races he won without me? I've heard 400. Any truth to that? Well, that, that just made around 200 <laughs> round numbers. So we said probably won twice as many races if I had a good cruise. And I, you cruise know, I can't cruise. prove him wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want, to, I want to come back to that. But one of the things that stands out to me, uh, and Richard, I want to start with you. So you go in the first class, your dad in the second, Dale in the third, missed a year there. Uh, didn't agree with that myself, but I'll leave that there. And, and looking behind you, right between y'all, is uh, Brother Maurice Chief, as uh, everybody called him, goes in in 14. And I know that was important to you, that all of y'all got in. But explain why that's so important and your perspective of that for Petty Enterprises. Well, you got to look at any Hall of Fame, okay? Very few Hall of Fames have the whole in the Hall of Fame. And I, I think, as far as I know, we're the only, only one has got the whole team. I was a little disappointed that, that Chief didn't get in uh, the third year, but, uh, or the fourth year. But the way it was then, people were looking more at drivers. I mean, the Drivers Hall of Fame, it's a Driver Hall of Fame, you know. And eventually, everybody said, it's a NASCAR Hall of Fame. It's not, not just a driver. It's the promoters. It's the owners. You know, it's the guys that work on the cars, motor people, uh, chassis people, crew chiefs, whatever. So, uh, you know, that that was uh, something I think that I would have liked, liked for him to be in then. But it did get in, and, uh, you know, he's just, he was the first crew chief. I mean, the first engine man. You know, Dale was the first crew chief. You know what I mean? So we got a lot of firsts there, and that's the main thing. Well, and, and to share with these folks, these guys are too humble, but if you want an example of Richard's humility, it may have been the first time he and I ever talked about the Hall of Fame uh, in Miami uh, in 2006, and he said, I want, he said, I want you to do me a favor. 
and he doesn't ask for a lot of favors. He said, be sure you tell the Petty Enterprises story. Right. Wherever Richard Petty falls into that story, that's fine. But be sure that you tell the Richard, I mean, the Petty Enterprises story. And that's one reason there is a panel in that first uh, uh, area in Heritage Speedway that talks about the family of racing and what it involved in Petty Enterprises and why when we celebrated Richard's 80th birthday, it wasn't about Richard Petty, it was about Petty Enterprises and everybody. So that's just a little side story and, and why that's important to him, but it's also important to us. And uh, well, so we're you, I've talked to you before, I have never accomplished anything by myself. Nobody can accomplish anything by themselves when they really get to thinking about it. You know what I mean? So without, being born in the, the racing family, Lee Petty, Elizabeth Petty, you know, that put me in a, in a chance to go racing. But I had a brother, I had a cousin, and so many people around me to get me started. And then you had, you know, the factories come in involved, all the sponsors, all the fans. They've what made Richard Petty. Richard Petty was just there, okay? And I was just so fortunate good Lord put all these good people around me. Uh, and well, they made what little talent I had, they brought it out for me. Otherwise I couldn't have done it. Well, I think, I think y'all all made a great team and, you know, a lot of people scratch their head as to why Richard wasn't a unanimous selection in the first class. My theory is Richard didn't, Richard worked against himself because Richard was lobbying for him, his dad. <laughs> to go in the first class. True story. Yeah. Even, even the night, but he was not on the voting panel until the second year. But the night before the very first vote, uh, we were at a Petty Foundation function, and he's lobbying me and anybody else that's there uh, that might be a voter to vote for Lee Petty. Well, I just figured, story. figured if, if you have a Hall of Fame, you need to start with what, what got us to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Lee Petty was one of the founders that got NASCAR involved. And in, I mean, he got involved in NASCAR, but started started with NASCAR, ran the very first race, you know, kept running all the races. So he was a founding father, okay? You know what I mean? So I, I, I always look back and said, okay, you need to start with the guys that got us here to begin with. I didn't get you here. Somebody else got, got it started. I just happened to jump on the wagon, rode it on down the road, you know? Well, you've forgotten more than I've ever known, and and I don't disagree with you a lot, but they weren't going to burn your house down if you didn't get in the first class. They might have burnt my house down. So. <laughs> but it all worked out and, and uh, you know, got all four of you in, maybe a year late for cheap, but got everybody in, so that's what matters. Yeah, I, I want to go back. You mentioned Dale being the first crew chief. You know, there's not a lot of history kept on – when the crew chief title came up, but it's generally accredited that you were the first one that people started calling crew chief, Dale. Do you remember that, how that evolved, and is that accurate? Well, as far as I, yeah, I guess it is. But, you know, they was leaders before, but, you know, I just had got out of service and everything. And when we was going to the races, you had to have a leader, you know what I mean, where to park the trailer that you, or if you, you know, we towed the car on the ground a lot, and you know, we 
where to park the, the family car that pulled it there. And a lot, just a lot of things took place. And it just finally, while Richard was on the racetrack and Lee too, uh, I just kind of took up the leadership and they got to where they would listen to me. And then I guess it just, I guess I just kind of inherited it, you know, and uh, make, you know, there was decisions to make back then, I guess, and changing tires and, and different stuff, strategies. And uh, I guess I just inherited that job and I ran with it, I guess. And, uh, but, you know, getting back to the Hall of Fame, me going in, I, I didn't think it was that big a deal until I got there that night and had my, and I got a pretty small family. I got a, uh, my wife, Mary. I've got a son and a daughter, and each one of them's got two kids. And it was a big night that night, and I, I appreciate everybody at the Hall of Fame for that. And of course, I was there and, and inducted Richard, you know. And uh, it it uh, and all everything we done to get in was really done before the Hall of Fame was really planned. You know what I mean? And when you watch a football game or a basketball game and the announcers one of them will say well this is a hall of famer you know and i say well that gone i'm that nascar you know and it just like <laughs> it just uh it just it's it's proud to be in the hall of fame at, at uh, charlotte and, and nascar hall of fame well that was one of my questions and, and you answered it about if you remember much uh, about that night because there's so much going on richard you know going back to that first year and we had the induction separate from the dinner are there things that stick out to you and you're in every hall of fame known to mankind every motorsports hall of fame if there was a mount rushmore of motorsports you'd be on it but is there anything about the nascar hall of fame induction experience that stands out to you yeah you know uh, looking back I, i've done my thing okay you know and I didn't know what to do. Nobody ever done it. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, they had France uh, Senior was first one, then France Junior. They weren't there. You know what I mean? So I was the first warm body, I guess, to get up. And I, I didn't know what to say, how to do it. Uh, they had a script for me, and I said, forget a script. You know what I mean? <laughs> play this by ear. And maybe I should have probably read the script. You know, <laughs> it would probably been more dramatic that way. But uh, I think I expressed myself the way I felt. Okay, it might not have been what people was wanting to hear, but it was from the heart. Thanking all the people that that uh, gave me the opportunity to get in the Hall of Fame, drive a race car, you know, be Richard Petty. Uh, from a spectator standpoint, you know, all through through all the people we worked with all these years. So, you know, I, I guess it and it. It was a big privilege to be the first driver to go into the Hall of Fame, too. So I, I appreciate that part. Well, there's a, there's a lot of times you kind of put your biggest name at the end, make sure all the TV audience stays and everything like that. But but there was a sequence to that night with uh, Bill Sr., uh, the founder, going in first, and you uh, as the winningest driver and the first driver to go in uh that wasn't happenstance, and, and you certainly earned it. And uh, big weekend, uh, big week, and, and uh, you know, looking forward to many more. So was, uh, I think it was a learning, learning experience for y'all, for us, <laughs> for sure, <laughs> and for any of the new members coming on. 
once you sort of got established, then they understood how the program was, what we had to do, you know, where you had to go, what you had to talk about. So, uh, you know, from that standpoint, uh, you know, we, uh, we broke the new ground, I guess. You know what I mean? Being, being the first one, a lot of times uh, you make mistakes uh, and don't and don't really know them until it's all over with. And then the second time or third time around, you pretty well eliminated all the stuff. So everything flows so much better. Yeah. Well, there's a saying that I think's attributed to your dad, I'd rather be lucky than good. <laughs> I still we were pretty good. lucky that first year to get through it, so <laughs> thanks to you guys. Yeah, I sit around every once in a while and just, just thank the good Lord that I was that lucky all these years just to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Dale, going back to the to the crew chief role, you mentioned a couple of things that are the same, the strategy, fuel mileage, and stuff like that. But that the role of crew chief is seems to me to be night and day than what it was. How would you describe what it is today versus what you guys did in the 60s and 70s? You know we ain't got that much time, Winston. not that much time in this week but uh you know richard we've raced with blackboards at talladega before the radios i mean i I think looking back now the radios didn't come where they were usable until around 1972 or something and there was no pit road i mean i i can't even I can't even start to describe it, Winston. Uh, pit road speed, no pit road speed, no. And uh, they've, they've, today's rules have give the crew chiefs some more strategies to work with. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just more strategies to work with. But uh, it, it's just night and day different. There's just no no comparison. I mean, we we pitted at Martinsville. Me and Richard Maurice pitted Lee with Red Myler. He was with us. And we pitted on the racetrack. There wasn't no wall between the racetrack and us, these pictures of it. Me and Richard Maurice with no shirts on. I mean, we thought it was cool to be there with no shirts on. And now they got to have fire suits and helmets. And and, and that's all good. And NASCAR has been so good about safety. If you want to get a rule change or anything, first thing you start out with, this is a lot safer this way, you know, and then you work from there. And and they'll they'll flat listen if you, if you mention safety. Yeah, wasn't always this easy, was it? The dif- the- <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that up, but I use it. <laughs> the difference in the crew chiefs and stuff, back in the day with Dale and stuff, they worked on the race car. They wouldn't, They didn't sit in a, a room somewhere with a computer, look at the races last week, the week before, uh, all the technology that we get from the computers, uh, wind tunnel tests, all that. They didn't look at that stuff because it wasn't there. So the crew chiefs were, went, were out not only telling everybody how, what to do on the car, but they was working on the car too. So if they wanted changes and stuff, they, they was out there with their hands on it, making the change herself. And then they tell the guy, this is the way I want it done. So he didn't, he wasn't just a crew chief uh, per se. He was a mechanic also. He had to work on the car. He done all the brakes and all this kind of stuff. Set the front ends on the car. You know, he did. He done a bunch of the technical stuff, I guess. That uh, crew chiefs don't. Now they got car chiefs. The car chiefs do the same thing as the crew chiefs used to do. Plus, you know, 
like I say, they sit with the computers, and, and it, you have to do that because the competition is doing that, and that, that's just a trend of, of how things have changed. But we're talking about race and changing you, but I, I still change tires till it's too old to hardly get over the wall. But, and then drive the truck home, son. But we finally got a truck driver, and I thought we were something else then. But uh, <laughs> but we're talking about race and changing, but everything is changing. Business, way, and, you know, just uh, the equipments and everything. It's, it's just a different world. And, uh, you know, we had to modify our jacks to be better than everybody else and modify our, our guns to be better and any, anything and I was talking to Richard yesterday. I said, I don't know where we was that good or not, but we was better than the competition that day. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and uh, it was uh, it was a different time for sure. And I'm not throwing off on what racing is today because they still pressure on everybody else and the, and the, all the audience they have and the televisions and the people preparing for the racetracks and all that stuff. It's, it's just a different world. I, I can't even describe it. We as Huntington, West Virginia, on a West Virginia one night, and the lights went out. We're leading the race, you know, and, and Richard <laughs> run another lap, and I tried to get it on the get it get it scored, and Johnny Bruner wouldn't let me. You know? <laughs> I was trying to get a lap ahead. Everybody else had stopped. <laughs> you mentioned competition. You know, from everything that I remember experiencing, your biggest competition in your heyday would have been the Wood Brothers and their driver. David Pearson, their, their most successful driver. But you guys seem to have an incredibly good relationship as well as being fierce competitors. Is that an accurate perception? And, and how how are you that hard of competitors but still just seem to be such good friends and not just after retirement? Well, I, I think you go back to family. You know, we had the Petty family there. They had the Woods family there. There's a bunch of them guys come out of Virginia, a whole crowd of them, sort of like a whole bunch of petties around. And, uh, you know, even when uh, we was out on the racetrack competing with each other, the families were in the infield <laughs> talking to each other. They hanging out, you know. Uh, I know uh, Glenn's crowd, you know, they, they'd feed their, their pit crew and stuff, and my mother would feed the petty crew. And if you needed something, you'd go over to the next – car and borrow some mayonnaise or mustard or some bread so uh it was just a big family deal uh when we got on the racetrack and we got to the racetrack we weren't buddies but when the race was over <laughs> then uh, you know we could go down the road together and say uh you know you beat me today i'll beat you next week or whatever it be let me yeah. tell you uh, let me tell you a hall of fame story about the woods i was talking to eddie wood one day and i said you know we Y'all done a great job having the, the Hall of Fame dinners and everything. And Eddie said Glenn wasn't going because he's afraid he'd fall, you know, later later in years. I don't know exactly what year it was. And I said, Daggone, tell him to come. And if he falls, I'll be holding to him. We'll fall together. So when we got through talking, Eddie called me back in about two minutes and said, Daddy's coming. So me and Richard helped him up on the stage and everything. And that, that stands out big for me. But Y'all done such y'all do such a great job with the dinners and everything. It's great. How do you guys pick your paint schemes, Richard, uh, to to choose the throwback since you got so many to pick from? Sometimes it's sponsor wise. You know what I mean? You gotta keep STP happy. You know what I mean? Sometimes it might be somebody else. Uh, you know, I guess uh, we run uh, 
my couple of years ago, uh, we won run the Adams paint job. You know, had Victory Junction on the side of the car, the whole, all of that kind of stuff. So Dale, understand that you got a pretty important role this weekend in Darlington. I told uh, I told Eric the other day. I said uh, I'm gonna black flag everybody and get to throw you the green, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and when I tell people I'm going, and you can't imagine how many times I've been told, please don't drop it, embarrass me, and <laughs> because I know you. So yeah, I think we'll be okay. It's 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 quite an honor, you know. And but you're talking about the paint schemes, Richard done most of the designing on all of the stripes, every word of the red and the. But it was hard to mess up that red, that day glow and blue. It looked good no matter what the, what which way the colors went. So uh, we had one or two cars that wasn't pretty enough that that paint couldn't save <laughs> back in the days. Yeah, and, and when Richard and I talked about the first car that was going to go on Glory Road, we had decided if we do an all petty blue one on Glory Road, you got to have an STP car in the Hall of Honor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think I remember hearing Richard say back it had been 72-ish when somebody told him how good that car looked. I uh, said, every time I look at it, it gets prettier and prettier. And Richard said, every time you look at it, it gets bluer and bluer. <laughs> but yeah, that, was, that, was a, that was a tricky story when we signed with STP in 1972 or somewhere. 72. And uh, he wanted it all day glow. And Hard Rock here stood up for his rights for blue. And we finally overcome the Indy cars because they started painting them day glow and blue. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I saw a question here from uh, the group want to know, when did you get your first enclosed hauler? You mentioned you used to tow them to the racetrack and then the open haulers. You remember when you got the first enclosed hauler? First tractor and trailer was like 76, 77 when they were in there. Beats me. Summer's long in there. Oh, it was in okay. the mid-70s. The way it started, we started with throwing them on the ground. Okay, then we got big shot. We got a trailer, open trailer. Then I think we got a closed trailer. And then we got a box truck with a trailer behind it. And then we finally, sometime in the mid-70s, uh, we got a tractor trailer where you could pull the race car up in uh, to the trailer. And uh, it was really the tractor, the, the trailer uh, was designed for bulldozers. We put the bulldozer on it and pull it up on it. When we, we got, we bought the, the trailer part, went to Greensboro and had Jindy to put a body on the thing. So every, that whole thing was homemade. But now, you know, you got these million dollar trailers and stuff where they can hold two cars, all the engine parts. You know, you could build a car most of these trailers that get to the racetrack, you could build a car out of that trailer. They got one of everything that goes on that race car. So it, it's changed so dang much. In fact, the first two or three races we went through, we drove the race car. My dad drove the race car to the racetrack. So you can see how far it's come from driving the race car to the racetrack. And yeah. putting in these million dollar trailers and stuff going up and down the road. Me and Maurice drove the race car in 1958 from where we're sitting to Riverside, California, raced it and drove it home. Lee raced it. He ran, he ran Trenton, New Jersey on Friday and Riverside, California on Sunday. Then we drove it home. And you stayed under the speed limit all the way out there and back. 
Speed li- what's that? What's the speed limit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When it's speed limit's as fast as it'll go, that's the speed limit. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know Wilcox, Arizona, because we broke down coming back, running about 115 mile an hour and blocked the right rear hub up. <laughs> Well, I know Bailey uh, Wazalewski, who works in our membership area, also has some questions that came from our members. So, Bailey, I'll turn it over to you for a few minutes here. Sure. Thank you, Winston. Yes. So, uh, we have a few uh, questions here from our members. Uh, I'll read the first one here. I think me and Jess will kind of go back and forth with these. Uh, The first one we have, uh, with so many changes in the sport over the last 10 years, especially last year in particular, uh, what do you feel may be the biggest change needed for the sport moving forward into the future? The biggest change we need coming. Yeah. Yeah, well, the big, yeah. The big the big change is going to be in 2022 because we're getting a completely different kind of chassis. Uh, it's, you know, independent suspension in the rear, uh, rack and pinion steering, uh, transmission, five, like a five-speed transmission. And a bunch of electronics on the car. Different wheels. And we're getting 18-inch wheels with big – the tires are probably a foot wide now. So the cars are going to stick a little bit better so they'll be able to race with each other a little bit. But this year – or next year, 22, the cars are going to look like a Ford. It's going to look like a Chevrolet. It's going to look like a Toyota. You know, right now, if you just blacked everything out and put it on the wall – all the cars looked the same. So if they didn't have something wrote on the side, you wouldn't even know what they were. But now when you look at the front of a Toyota or a Thunderbird or a Chevrolet, you can flat tell that it, what kind of car it is. You look at the side, you can tell. You look at the back. So the cars look smaller because the greenhouse, uh, the top of the car is a lot lower. So it makes the cars look a lot smaller. So uh, that that's going to be the big change and the, the deal is everything's going electronic. We've got new fans coming that are more interested in, in the new stuff than, than the old stuff. Me and Dale went through all the old stuff, wore it out. So <laughs> they've had to come with a new idea. So we're trying to go into the 21st century with a different kind of race car that looks like a stock car. So uh, those are the big changes that's coming. All right, so the next one we have, and we kind of talked a little bit about it. Um, So as we talk about Darlington and the throwback weekend, I know you've talked a little bit about some of the paint schemes that you have run. Um, Are there any any paint schemes that you haven't run yet that you would like to see in the future? You know, uh, if if we run a red and blue car, every year was different with the way the paint job was. And then... uh, the initial deals were just all blue, so you can't do much with, you know, sort of like Earnhardt's black car, it's black, okay? We had a blue car, so, you know, you'd have to tell people that this was a 67 car paint job or, you know, 1969 paint job. Who knows? It's blue, so you, there's no no uh, backdrop on that deal. So uh, we're going to run our cars one of these days, so we might have to go back and uh, – you know, they've been doing this, what, five or six years or whatever, then we can probably go back and start again. People forget forget we've already run that design before. But the sponsor colors are big, too. They, we, at one time, 
that nobody liked green or nothing. You see a green just about every week, <laughs> and but it's it's because somebody's paying the money and that's their colors and that's what keeps raising corn. Also, Taylor, we got any more? We do. Yes. So the next one I have, um, it says, being in a virtual room full of fans. They want to know what your most memorable or most unusual experience has been with a fan. Most unusual. The most unusual experience that you've had with a fan or most memorable experience that you've had with a fan. I guess the oddest, oddest thing I've ever done was we was at Raleigh Fairground making an appearance for some something down there. And... A guy come by and wanted me to sign an autograph, and I said, okay, where's that? He said, I'll go get it. He went and got a duck, <laughs> come back with a duck, and spread the wings out, and I, I signed across the, the wings of the duck. So I, that's about as odd as I've had any uh, spectator ask me to sign. I mean, you know, you sign dogs, you sign legs, you sign <laughs> female parts, <laughs> you know, you sign a little bit of everything, but... Uh, that, that was the oddest uh, request I think I've had from a fan. It's pretty hard to uh, to top that one. But, uh, Richard, I have a question for you. So we're going to paint the picture a little bit first. In 1998, you were named one of NASCAR's 50 greatest drivers. I'm sure there were times that being the best also meant fans wanted to cheer against the winning driver. Were you ever booed like some of the drivers are today? If I was, I didn't hear it, okay? I'm hard of hearing, okay? See, the deal with me, uh, when, when I came through the racing deal, you had Chevrolets, you had Fords, and you had Chrysler products, okay? All right, so, you know, we we go out and go racing and stuff, and if the good Chevrolets fell out, they wasn't going to pull for a Ford. They pulled for Richard Petty. Okay. And then vice versa, if Ford fell out, you know, whatever it may be. So a lot of people just started following me because their favorite driver maybe fell out and they didn't want their competition to, to beat them. They wanted somebody to beat their competition. So I, I think I was probably, of all the people that come through, uh, especially when I came through, was probably the most neutral. Uh, from that standpoint, and I feel like uh, that was the reason that uh, we never got booed that much. And I, I know, uh, you know, we've we've had uh, Fred Lorenzen and stuff. You know, he run in uh, in the '60s, and uh, the they would boo him. And I said, look, that don't make any difference. They come to see you. They come to boo you. That means they're paying. They're paying our bills so if they boo you that's fine the main deal is they know who you are all right and last but not least we have one more uh what do you two consider to be the toughest racetrack to win at (laughs) you know the toughest racetrack Uh, Mm -hmm. for me probably was was i had a couple of charlotte was hard for me to win even though we always run good we wound up going three or four races there. Darlington was always tough for me. Not because I didn't like the track. Not because we didn't run good. Our fortunes just wasn't good there. You know, you go to Martinsville or Richmond or Wilkesboro, 
you know, he's going to win the race no matter what happened. I mean, you know, he won 15 races at each one of those racetracks. And Darlington, uh, we just won three races. And we run, won them all in a year and a half. They, they came in 60, uh, 66, 67. And, uh, you know, other than that, it's just, it, it wasn't a tough racetrack. I don't, I don't think, I never looked at any racetrack being tough. You mean, if it's a racetrack, whether it was a road course up and down hill, whether it was dirt track, a quarter mile, or whatever, it didn't make any difference. And uh, if somebody else could run on it, I could run on it. So uh, I, I don't, I don't think I. The, the only deal that I had was rough race tracks that I couldn't finish good on, so, so I didn't like those. Now, were there any that were harder on cars for you? Dirt tracks used to be terrible on cars. <laughs> but I mean? uh, Martin, Martinsville was so hard on brakes back then, and we spent a lot of time on brakes. But getting back into winning races, like we we could win the 400 at Charlotte, but we couldn't win the 600. Pilot won the 600. And then at Daytona, luckily, he won seven times, but we struggled with the 400. So it's just it's hard to put your finger on what really happens. But uh, – Martinsville, you're talking about a demand on the racetrack, on a race car. It, it was back, but now they got the brakes. The brakes are so good, it's not even a factor anymore. And when we used to go to Martinsville, it was that was just it. When yeah. Richard get Whoever had it, the best brakes, we had the best brakes, and and we concentrated on that all year. Talking about, talking about being a crew chief, Dale would spend all week working on nothing but brakes and brake drums, and I mean. When we get there and we do the practice and stuff, you go out and run, and then when you come in to make to to and during the practice and come in, you didn't you geared geared the car down and cut the switch off. You didn't touch the brake because you didn't want the heat going and messing up, you know, galvanizing any of the stuff. So we done everything we could to have brakes. A lot of times we wasn't the quickest car to begin with, but when the race was over, we could run good and. You know, those were just things that Dale came up with or somebody come up with to make us win races. Well, guys, you have been more than generous with your time tonight, more than generous over the past more than 11 years that we've been in existence, and not just to the Hall of Fame, but to the industry. And, you know, the thing that I miss the most about not being in the garage area is getting to see guys like you. Uh, Well, except for Dale kind of. (laughs) <laughs> pitching the arm a little bit, maybe. Whatever. <laughs> but uh, in, in all seriousness, there, there's no two that I miss anymore. And can't thank you enough for all that you've done for the Hall of Fame, uh, and especially for this very special group. And want to tell this group to be on the lookout for an email tomorrow because uh, one of the next things we're going to do, we focused on the first class and the third class tonight. We're going to focus later this month uh, on a deal with the class of 2021 that will be inducted uh, in January, early February of 2022, working on those details now. So be on the lookout for an advance email that you guys will get first. Uh, It should come out tomorrow, Jessica, as I understand. That is correct. So thank you all again so much, Winston. Thank you, Uh, Dale and Richard. It was an honor to have you guys here and to be able to chat with you this evening. Uh, we will certainly be pulling and looking forward to the paint scheme this weekend, but also um, Dale will be cheering for you. Uh, we know you're going to hold tight on that flag, and 
Uh, wish you all the best, um, both of you, and, and a big eventful weekend. So thank, thank you all thank so you. much. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a good one. Maybe we'll see you this weekend. Okay, Y'all be good. Take care. Again, that was the Zoom call from the NASCAR Hall of Fame with Richard Petty and Dale Emmon. And as I mentioned, there will be another Zoom call with the class of 2022. So I hope to be able to bring that to you in the future. But thank you for listening. Please share, like the podcast, share NASCAR trading card hobby with your friends. And for me and Jason, we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.